JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. And here we go. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess? School? Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Full disclosure here, I thought this weekend football-wise was incredibly enjoyable. The problem is that we get to enjoy this, but it's without the Colts, and that's the stinker part. There is no way I'm a loner on this. There is no way that I was the only one that felt when C.J. Stroud and the Texans were running roughshod over the Browns, you just go, you know what, if you would have just done this and watched Flacco basically flush himself right down the toilet, that was the 2023 season. There was no way I was the only one saying, well, I mean, you see, this is why I put so much of an emphasis on that, that moment, that time, where we are. And all this talk about the future is stinking great. It is great. And I hope I have every reason to fathom a belief that it's going to work out. But there is something, as I mentioned, and I don't know if this has just kind of been lost with the level of losing around here and always talking about rebuilds and trade value. I gave you a great example. Alex Golden is setting the pace, just sent out a tweet saying, quote, this has been the longest time we've gone in years without hearing Miles Turner and trade rumors. Well, you're welcome, everybody. You're welcome because few of us saw what was going to be the value in him. Now, I'm, I'm probably I better knock on some wood here because you're going to the second of a back-to-back in Utah, a team, by the way, that's won five straight, eight of nine, and is doesn't look anything on the floor now like it did back in early November when the Pacers rode him out of Gambridge Fieldhouse. 
But there is something about living in the moment. It is okay. Like, my, my vision with 33 was, all right, when you get some other pieces in here, tell me about it. When your pieces aren't Malcolm Brogdon constructed, then let me know. When you don't have 25 bigs trying to do the same thing, then get with me. When you're not going through a Nate B. Orkgren offense, let me know. But with the Colts, it was just living in the moment. With the Colts, it was, okay, this is a big surprise. I, I, I could not have been the only one Saturday that felt that way. Because I already know everybody else's feeling about Houston and C.J. Stroud. Man, they're getting all that love. That should be Colts love right there. And listen, I have no thought in my mind that the Colts would have looked anything like offensively what the Texans look like on Saturday. But all I said was that was going to be a very winnable game. And you basically saw Joe Flacco and Joe Flacco crap out right there before your eyes. And then, if you hadn't already noticed, Throughout the NFL, because it was a standalone and everybody was watching, you saw created a future elite-level star quarterback in C.J. Stroud. Now, this is something we already knew. And again, this is something we talked about going back to one game. Like, everybody spends all this money, all this money on scouts and evaluations, and we're going to send this person there and this and that. And I watched one game with C.J. Stroud against Georgia, and I said, yeah, this is going to be the guy right here. And then he backed that up at the combine and called himself, referenced himself as a ball placement specialist. I said, holy crap, there you go. Can you imagine when they get even more legitimate surrounding him? That guy is a rookie. If Anthony Richardson can even get in the ballpark of that, I'm assuming everybody around here is going to be happy. And I know everybody's really excited about, well, you look at that and what they have in Houston and what you'd hope to have here, and we'll see about you know the direction Tennessee goes. I'm assuming offensively and Will Levis. And you know maybe one of these days Jacksonville can put together and Trevor Lawrence can put together something you know even close to consistent. And then you got something working. I was talking to Hagen about that last night on 59 Overtime. The thing of it is, you really don't want it that way. You want it to where your team is the dominant one. And I I know it's all about, you know, competition and everybody gets excited about it. I would rather the Colts to be the clear-cut favorite in the future, and you're still trying to feel that out. Man, C.J. Stroud was good. C.J. Stroud was good. Jordan Love was good. I don't mind it either. I don't mind it. You do need a little bit of a changing of the guard, don't you? You need a little bit of the step forward here. I know everybody gets lost in the shuffle now. No question about that, of you know, making fun of Dallas. That's just kind of who they are in the postseason. But everybody gets caught up in that. It didn't really affect me so much. Can you imagine if you're a guy that is nationally renowned like Skip Bayless and you're going through all these videos of throwing away all your Cowboys gear, I mean, what? My man is like 80 years old. First of all, you got all this Cowboy gear, then you got to make a video of you running to the kitchen trash can to throw it away. And then shut the camera off and then you'll get it out and then go put it in the washer, I guess. I don't know, but 
You've been down this path before. Uh, shout out to Brent Halverson that saw his Green Bay Packers just do gobs of work in Dallas yesterday. And I will have to say, I was jealous. We saw this, not to the degree of emotion that we saw in Detroit, but I was jealous because a couple of different times this year, we saw that type of atmosphere. And it was fun, and it was enjoyable. And, man, that's what you want if you're a Colts fan, like it was on that Saturday night against the Steelers, like it was in the loss on that Saturday night against the Texans. That's what you want. I was jealous last night watching, and, and again, this is kind of a twofold comment I have for you here regarding the Lions and kind of meshing that into you Colts fans here. I was jealous of that. That environment was incredible. I make fun of Michigan all the time. I make fun of Detroit all the time. But that is absolutely something I could admire. It had been 30-plus years. I was in college the last time something like that happened in Detroit for that Lions team. Of the two things that I like about Michigan you know, the, you know, one, the other is like Eminem. I love that open last night with Eminem. I thought that was great. They have waited forever for it. And they deserve it. And then you saw all that emotion come out in so many fans. I was jealous of that. That's what I want to see from you guys again. And this is always the danger of disregarding where you are in the moment. And Chris Ballard said as much last week. Chris Ballard, one of the few things Chris Ballard and I have agreed regarding in the in the years past was what he said at the end of last week. It is okay to look at the future and go, all right, well, it looks like we're going down the right path finally here. That's great. While also being incredibly, I mean, massively disappointed in the present. Which, which he was, and they were, and that's understandable. Because tomorrow is not promised for anybody. Now look at all these tomorrows in Dallas. But tomorrow is not promised. And I got to give a shout-out to Bill Brooks, who about a month ago, you know, we always argue on the Colts pregame huddle about my must-wins, and he's a firm believer in non-must wins. And I understand that. He's a former player, and he's forgotten more about football than I ever knew. Always respect for Bill. Love him as a friend and a colleague. And when he said, you got to take advantage of these moments because you're not guaranteed anything in the future, I was thinking about that last night watching Detroit. They probably felt the same way back in 1993. They probably felt the same way you know, in the 90, early 90s about, you know, we got Barry Sanders and we got this and, hey, we got something really special brewing here. And they have been off the radar for the better part of three decades. Think about that for a moment, too. I mean, it, we were still in the very early stages of Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Like that whole Seattle music scene was what a couple of years in evolution. The last time Detroit did anything that significant, 
So that's something that I got to thinking. I was thinking about how I could put this into good use for Colts fans around here because the Colts fans aren't playing. And that's the first thing I thought of. That's why you take advantage of that's why I guess in this case you wish your team will take advantage of those situations because you can't count on that happening. You can't get stuck in that rut like the Lions, a rut like we saw with the Bengals. And it's unforgiving. And you saw that last night at Ford Field, just the simple emotion of that moment, winning a football game, winning a wild card weekend football game. And how that fan base felt, I thought, among anything else that happened, you know, whether you love Dan Campbell or these two quarterbacks, by the way, in the first half were throwing absolute darts, seeds. I mean, the the velocity right on the numbers. Now, this was the first half. The second half was different. But you're talking about a couple of quarterbacks that was putting it on the money. That first half of football was some of the more exciting football that I have seen in a while. That was fun as hell to watch. And then in the second half, it was more of a slog to see who was going to be able to finish, who was going to be able to close. And then ultimately the Lions did, and we got to see what it's like for, again, the better part of three decades not having any success to speak of and constantly constantly being that doormat and always talking about the future. And this is why the future is bright. And this is the future. This is why I will always tell you the future is great. But if you can take advantage of the present, take advantage of the present. Which reverts to last week. And probably was magnified when you watched the way that the Texans played on Saturday. Or maybe even better said, how about the way that the Browns played on Saturday? Because that is something that we had thought about. That is something that we had felt the entire time. You know what? That's coming. And it happened. Now, exciting weekend that's still going strong. We got a 4.30 start in the wild card with the Steelers and the Bills and Buffalo. The field, I will say this, I've seen some pictures of the field. It is incredible considering what it looked like yesterday. I don't know where everybody's going to sit. They're going to have to sit, I guess, on a snowbank in the stands or stand on a snowbank in the stands or whatever. If you go, there's a ton. I mean, a crap ton of snow in the stands, but the field looks incredible considering what it looked like this time yesterday. And and I understand you, you get this nowadays. Everybody gets so caught up with, you know, being tough versus being soft. And I, I say this all the time. When I get, I will get uh, tweets or X's or whatever you want to call it. To me, you know, calling players soft, and I just laugh. I don't even have to look at who sent it. I just go, okay, whatever, soft. I mean, this fat guy sitting in his basement somewhere, soft, okay. So when this situation was referenced as soft yesterday, this comes down to the well-being of those that you're sending out in a situation basically when the city is shut down. I don't know about the mayor, but I know the governor had some say about it. So what are you going to do? I mean, you try to make the best out of it. So I guess I didn't really understand that argument. Two things I don't understand argument-wise. I don't understand the argument 
calling, well, the, the NFL has gone soft. There's no way the NFL soft. Did you watch what Kansas City and Miami played in on Saturday? Well, some of you did. Some of you didn't because of Peacock. Yeah, there's nothing soft about that. Can you imagine? I would love to talk to those guys about how much more magnified, amplified, how much more of the the contact and the impact made between players in that game, how much more that stings and hurts when it's like 15 degrees below zero and a minus 30-plus wind chill. That has to be ridiculous. I mean, to a point when Mahomes had his helmet shattered. What? That, to me, is some incredible stuff. So, yeah, you can say soft all you want. I never understood that argument regarding today's game and the Steelers and the Bills. And the other one, you know how much I think it would be cool if some globally legendary right now personality and believe me, we've got some strong personalities. I'm a big fan of Mike Epps. You know that. I know Mike Epps is, you know, Mr. Pacer, Mr. Indianapolis. I love that. But can you imagine if you had somebody that went to every game and is dating a player, the magnitude of Taylor Swift? I don't know too much about Taylor Swift. I mean, normally for that, I would like lean on on Blake and, and Blake and Laney. Like Blake and Laney like what I like. Like the other day, the other day, Lainey, I was talking to to Lainey about music, and she goes, "You know, I really like that Fleetwood Mac." Like what? I really like Fleetwood Mac. All right, uh, great. Okay, so well, yeah, we'll go listen to rumors. So my my kids, notwithstanding, normally you can get that type of information, that recon regarding Taylor Swift from them, but my kids are kind of built like me. Yeah, like Howard Jones and Fleetwood Mac and The Cure and New Order and stuff like that. But you know how great it would be if you had a global superstar like that that loved your team? Like, I saw so many negative comments about Taylor Swift being excited and, you know, going with the crowd and, you know, doing, I don't know what they were doing. I will tell you this it's a thousand times better than the stinking wave. I would love that here. You guys would love that here. You never get tired of that. A global superstar that loves your team. You're Kansas City and Taylor Swift goes to every game and evidently is in love with your tight end and then everything gets blamed on her. You look at the effect she's having on Travis Kelsey and it's just all a load of BS. I'd love it. So seriously... If, if a Colts or a Pacers player, if they ever want to date like a global superstar, I'm going to raise my hand and get excited about it. <laughs> even, more, even more pub for you. But just so much negativity. Oh, it takes away from the game. What? Well, what kind of idiot are you if it takes away from the game? Well, they just keep going to it. What? It'd take away from anything. That's you being a crusty old fart. That's you. If that bugs you, you're a crusty old fart, look in the mirror or call me up for details because believe me, at the age of 54, I know the difference between being okay with stuff and trying to be young and hip and at the same time having the infiltration of the crusty old fartism attacking your every being. I know it. I live it every day. 
So if you have an issue with it, then you get a hold of me, and together we will work your problems out with this because it doesn't have to be that way. I would be overjoyed if a global superstar would be dating somebody around here at our sporting events so we could get as excited as that. That'd be great. It's like icing on the cake for them, too. They're already really good. I mean, hell, they already have Jimmy Cook talking about him every glorious minute. But now you got this. I think it's great. Like, I thought yesterday with Eminem doing that open for the Rams and the Lions, just fantastic. Well, and Eminem, he cusses a lot. <laughs> Eminem is a wordsmith. Eminem is this. Eminem is a prodigy and a wordsmith unlike we have seen to a level in which we have not seen. He is right there as far as, as what he does as an entertainer with anybody in music history. I mean, anybody. He is a prodigy and a wordsmith. And I thought that open, I was perfect for Detroit. Just great. So, yeah, I mean, anybody wants to jump, anybody wants to start dating, I don't know, Colts player, Pacer player, start dating some global superstar, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. All right, we can hit that if you guys like. Hey, Pacers later on tonight in Utah. Did you guys watch yesterday, the Pacers and the Nuggets? Did you notice what I've been talking about? Granted, this is not some, you know, incredible Red Arbach, you know, I'm I'm sure, uh, vision of basketball greatness and knowledge that I'm trying to give you right here. But can you tell just the massive difference between Halliburton being out there and how everybody on that team is about a half a step slow than usual because of it. And listen, nothing against Bruce Brown or Andrew Nemhart, which, by the way, Andrew Nemhart needs to play better, especially handling the ball. And all he had to do yesterday was watch how many different times they screwed up dribble handoffs. I mean, that thing is a mess, and that is a staple of this offense. And most of the time, it was a mess. And just beyond that, the players like Jordan Wara was out there yesterday, and this is not his fault, but he hasn't played enough. He was like a, a half a step slow with, with passes and just the, the decision-making. And that's what happens when you ride a lot of bench time. And then all of a sudden that you're out there, and that's what takes place. But... I mean, significantly, you can tell without the points because they're not reaching offensive levels that they did with him. And again, this is no great knowledge from the king of basketball around here or anything because everybody knew that was going to be the complication going in. But yesterday was a great example. That was an incredibly winnable game with Halliburton that turned out to be a runaway-and-hide scenario on the fourth in Denver. That was a very winnable game. In fact, I will tell you this. I wish – we'll talk to Jeremiah Johnson about this coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I had – to me, I wish that Utah would have been first because you, you kind of know what you're going to get from Denver. Now, Utah's won five straight, eight of nine. They're much different than they were going back to November the 8th when the Pacers handed them a robust defeat. But I would have rather than been in Salt Lake City first because then you kind of know what you have on the other side. And I haven't seen yet. You have to look this up. Without Aaron Neesmith, that made it even more difficult. So you already, you're missing 
Halliburton, and then now you're missing Neesmith. That was more difficult. But I will tell you this. I'll give the Pacers credit. They they hung and hung and hung. And you just kind of knew this. You, you knew that, that Jokic was, was going to get his at some point. And then you saw again Jamal Murray is just a, a brilliant NBA shot maker and especially magnify with that group. But Michael Porter Jr. was the difference because he was the consistent note. The rest of their guys didn't seem as consistent throughout. But Porter Jr. knocked down open three after open three on defensive rotations where, you know, you would you would cover Murray. Maybe you Caldwell Nope, you would end up covering and then yeah, there's Porter Jr. I thought Porter Jr. ended up throughout the game being the biggest of the differences right there. We can talk about that. The back-to-back is in Salt Lake City for the Pacers later on tonight. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports, Indiana, 4 o'clock hour. Stephen Holder of ESPN. Postseason, Colts offseason conversation and more coming up. But at the bottom of the hour, a big one coming up tomorrow night in Bloomington. It is Purdue and IU both getting wins Friday for IU against Minnesota. And then a blowout for the Boilermakers at home against Penn State on Saturday. You get that matchup on Peacock, 7 o'clock tomorrow night assuming all of you have peacock by now hey by the way too and a shout out to channel 13 for being back on for direct tv i've given them a lot of crap and shout out to 13 and tegna for being back on in the indie market for direct tv rob blackman of the boilermaker radio network their play-by-play voice is set to join us coming up next what do we got to give away james golf expo i saw we got tickets tickets. tomorrow though we do I saw that. Bush. We do, yeah. Gavin Rossdale and Bush. And I think next week we I'm have... giving away Bush tickets. And I think next week we have Janet Jackson Janet, tickets. My first name ain't baby. It's right. Janet's Miss Jackson if you're nasty. Next week. Right, James, we got stuff to give away. You guys hang with us. Go ahead and log in, lock in the AAA membership lounge via YouTube Live. Hopefully you guys are leaning on that. Yeah, there been a lot of inclement weather. The cold temps still, obviously... On this MLK Day that is nationally celebrated. Hope you are having a good one and certainly hope it is a warm one for you. 239 1070. The email address is jmv1075thefan.com inside the lounge via YouTube Live. That's the AAA membership lounge right there. Well, guys, we'll get you going for that. The stream, the app, HD Radio. We're back with Rob Black, but on the other side, right here on 93.5 and 1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a I want you to be nice. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Always nice, Swayze. Until it's not. Any longer a time to be nice. Pacers, Utah tonight, back-to-back Mountain Time Zone games. Difficult. Difficult it will be. Mentioned the Jazz winners of five straight, eight of nine. Much different than the first meeting. 
Jeremiah Johnson from the SLC, 4 o'clock hour. Stephen Holder here, VSPN after 5 2. Your calls and more. You guys hang around on hold and I'll get you in here. We've got some live action going on too in the Big East. Marquette Villanova and uh, obviously wildcard game. Wildcard game in Buffalo with the Steelers and the Bills start at 4.30. We'll keep you updated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Friend of this show, he is the voice of the Boilermakers. Rob Blackman is with us. So you guys don't go down and spend the night, do you, in Bloomington? You just drive down day of, or am I wrong? Uh, the team uh, team stays the night, yes. They're, they're practicing right now in, in West Lafayette. And then they'll go down tonight. But I no, I will not. I uh, living in Zionsville, there's no sense to me uh, to go down there and spend a night when I don't need to. So I will drive down tomorrow. Well, you're going to miss out on a little bit of the fun, right? You get to hang out with uh, with Painter and the the staff, have a little bit of fun, right? Talk over some well, some basketball. But, You'll miss out on that. There's not a whole lot of hanging out tonight. Literally, they'll get there about 9 o'clock tonight, eat a meal, go to bed. So, yeah, I don't think I'm missing out on that much. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this. I was asked this earlier today, Rob, regarding going back to Lincoln and that loss to Nebraska. What Was that more about, in your mind, just you know, Purdue running into an offensive buzzsaw or was it more uh, something to do with Purdue? Because you, know, you look back at that game, it's not like their defense looked that bad, especially defending the three. There were just a lot of shots made. How did you view that moving forward before they took the court on Saturday against Penn State? Well, I uh, so Matt Painter on our pregame show Saturday talked about this uh, after they had gone back and looked at the tape, you know, 14 made threes for Nebraska and the coaching staff felt like 10 of the 14 were well defended. Uh, You know, we're right there on the catch, had a hand in the face and Nebraska just made some awfully tough shots. Uh, So 10 of 14, not too bad. Now, Matt Painter also said in that same interview that what you wanted back were the four wide open threes that where you had defensive breakdowns. Those are the ones that ultimately kill you. You know, if they, Look, if they're going to make threes and you have a hand in their face and it's well defended, then you just tip your cap and, and you move on. But you had those four open threes that really, you know, really cost you. And more importantly were the, were the pick sixes. The, the turnovers were Purdue just literally handed the ball to Hoiberg and, and let him run uncontested at the other end for layups. I mean, those are the ones that are, those are the crushers because you can control those. Uh, defensively, as I said, hey, if you're right up there in their, in their grill and they, they're making threes in your face – uh, tip of the cap, but you can't just give them runouts for easy, uncontested layups, and you can't give them wide open threes, uh, especially at home where you know they're going to shoot better. So that ultimately is what that game came down to: the fact that Purdue uh, you just gave them gave them points, and that's you know Matt always talks about that. And it's when it, our pregame interviews, uh, literally, I, I don't even know if I need to ask questions anymore because it's always the same answers. And one of those answers is you can't give them points; you can't give them easy ones. And Purdue did that uh, Tuesday night at Lincoln and, and ended up getting uh, getting a loss because of it. So, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, it is Purdue IU coming up tomorrow down in Bloomington. Rob's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, you saw it in Lincoln, second half, Trey Kaufman-Wren and um, Fletcher Lawyer did not start in the second half. They, they got benched. What did you think of their response, not just you know when they came back in finally in Lincoln, but their response that you got and saw against Penn State Saturday. Yeah, certainly much better, more aggressive offensively, but more importantly, a, a renewed effort on the defensive end. 
uh, something that was lacking really from both of those guys in in the first half of that game at, at Nebraska. The the real kicker for Trey Kaufman ran is he had just been so good the game prior uh, against Illinois. Season high twenty three points. Um, I think he had four or five rebounds in that game. Uh, was just so good uh, against Illinois, and you felt like, hey man, he's really starting to come on here. And then he had the clunker that he had at Nebraska, where he didn't even score a single point. So, uh, but that that was more about on the defensive end, John. I can promise you that. Uh, yes, you want to get points from both of those guys, especially Fletch, because he's a guy averaging 11 points a game for you, third best on the team, uh, I think 11.4 or whatever it is. But you, you, you know Coach Painter well enough. You've been around him long enough to know. Uh, it, all, it all starts and stops with a defensive end. Uh, and if you are not giving supreme effort on that end, you're probably not going to play a whole lot. And that's, uh, So that, that was the message being sent at, uh, at the start of the second half at Nebraska. And at least from what we saw Saturday against Penn State, it looked like that message was received. Rob Blackman joins us. I, I try really hard because I know it sounds like I'm I'm hard, I'm difficult, I'm Fletcher Lawyer, and I certainly don't mean to be. But it has seemed like sometimes that he he struggles with the balancing act that is offensive-minded but live up to the expectations of your coach and his staff defensively. That is, uh, he would be the first to tell you that as well, uh, that that is where the area of his game that needs improvement is on the defensive end. Uh, Now, is it better than it was last year? Yes, yes it is. He has made improvements in that area, uh, but still not where he needs to be. And again, he'd be the first to admit to that. The nice thing about Fletcher is he is so skilled offensively that when he is on one of those nights, he's having one of those nights where he just can't miss uh, then you can you can turn a blind eye to the defensive uh, deficiencies, and, yeah. and I'm sp- speaking specifically about you know the game against Tennessee, 27 points in that game out out in uh, Honolulu, or the game against Arizona, quite frankly, in Indianapolis, 27 points, and that was a game where he had four steals, so he was he actually was pretty good defensively that game. But with Fletch, again, a little bit like, um, and I'm not com- I'm not, and this is not an apples and apples comparison, so let me say this up front but a little bit like a Jaden Ivey and a Carson Edwards in that those guys were so good offensively that while they were little, probably a little a subpar on the defensive end on a regular basis, you were okay with it because you know how good they were on offense, that you could live with it. Uh, Fletcher is not to that level offensively yet. Maybe he will get there, but he certainly has nights and is good enough offensively there that there could be nights where maybe he's not as good defensively and you can turn the blind eye to that because you know what he's giving you on offense is, is, is just it's too valuable. You have to have him on the floor. I just think about it from this standpoint, too. When he's going in those games in which you describe he's going, that that is you, – you can tell the level of success Purdue is going to have. I mean, he really is a, a pretty significant gauge to what – the rest of the team is doing and how much success they're having in that game. Is he not? Uh, typically, I think he's normally a pretty good gauge. Now, it's not fair to put it all at his feet uh, because certainly Purdue has other players that can make or break uh, a game. Uh, but, yeah, it certainly feels like uh, when Fletcher is is on his A game offensively, man, Purdue, it just feels like he's playing at a magical level. And, again, I would – I would hearken back to the Tennessee and the Arizona games, his two best games of the year, um, where he, like I said, had 27 points in both of those games. When he gets it cooking, and the, and the other nice thing about him, he's such a dangerous three-point shooter. I mean, 
give credit where credit is due. You know, last year he's a 32% three-point shooter. This year he's a 41% three-point shooter. He has really worked on shooting the ball in the offseason, and it's paid off here. Uh, and that's the other reason you like having him on the floor because he's such a threat to make the three-point shot. He, he automatically gives you spacing offensively because you can't sag off of him. And certainly if he's ball side with, with Zach Eady, there's no way you're sagging off that guy. So he really makes life a lot easier for Zach in that particular instance. So, uh, yeah, give credit where credit is due. Offensively, he's made himself a much more polished three-point shooter this season. Does he still have a ways to go uh, defensively? He does. But, again, it's not, it's not something he wouldn't admit to. He's working on it. And uh, uh, as I said now, you know, three, four times, when he's going offensively, you, you turn a blind eye the de- to the defensive deficiency because he's just that good. He is Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Give me a member of that squad that you really want to see get going. And let's just say, for example, tomorrow night in Bloomington would be a nice opportunity for this player to get going. Well, I think Trey Kaufman-Wren probably ends up being the X factor uh, in, in, on, on both ends. Certainly if he can score the ball, that's a bonus. Uh, if he has the 23-point type of night he had against Illinois, that's a real bonus. But uh, I, I just – when I look at Indiana and the length and the athleticism they have along the front court, uh, you know, Zach Eady's going to have to guard somebody. I think he'll guard Khalil Ware, I think. The fact that Ware can step out and shoot the three, I know he hasn't made a lot of them this year, but he's, he's a, what, 43% or something. Uh, that makes that a tough cover for Zach. So does that mean that Trey Kaufman ends up, ends up guarding him? I, I don't know. I'm not sure how we'll go. But – if it's not him, then it's either Renew uh, or Mbako, who last I checked are both pretty salty offensive players as well. Um, so I think Trey Kaufman-Wren probably ends up being the X factor there more defensively than offensively. My guess is Trey's going to probably guard Ware. He's probably going to guard Renew. He's probably going to guard Mbako uh, through different parts of the game, depending on which one of those three guys is maybe uh, you know having their way on the offensive end, if any of them are, uh, especially in the low post. So I think he's the guy. Uh, and, again, if you get points from him, the trick, of course, is, and, again, this is Coach Painter speak here, if they have, if Indiana has a, has a strategic advantage on you when they're on offense, you have to flip it on them at the other end, right? You have to, you have to find a way to also find your own strategic advantage on the other end when you have the ball. And so that's where Trey Kaufman-Wren can really be valuable if, indeed, he can have just a little bit of offense tomorrow night, but more importantly, defensively, whomever those three guys I just mentioned, whomever he gets matched up against, that's going to be a huge matchup. Well, and you think about it too, Rob. I mean, last year you would think that maybe in a lot of ways defensively you, you handle it if you're Purdue similarly than you, you did a year ago. However, Hood Shafino was just such an X-Fasker, especially in a game in West Lafayette last year. And that's where I'm going with this. How much of recent history – against IU weighs into this motivation with this group going to Bloomington and what we're going to see tomorrow night? Well, uh, Purdue will be motivated. I mean, look, last year – so let's just look at last year's two games. The game in Bloomington, Indiana had 50 points at halftime. Just just embarrassed Purdue on the defensive end. Now, second half, I think they scored 28-29, but they still won the game. I mean, 50 points and a half, just unacceptable, especially for Matt Painter coach team. And then, you know, the real, the, the real kicker 
Purdue's ready to celebrate a Big Ten regular season championship uh, last year in Mackey Arena. I mean, they had the confetti ready and everything, <laughs> and, and Indiana wins that game. So instead of celebrating there at Mackey, we had to wait until Sunday afternoon the next day and watch uh, Northwestern lose on the road at Maryland, and then we could all celebrate sitting on our couch at home, which isn't quite as much fun, by the way, <laughs> uh, celebrating a Big Ten championship sitting on your couch at home. So, and, you you know, you brought up Jalen hood Shafino. Yeah. I mean, 30, I think it was 35. Oh, points, he was, yeah, he was incredible in that game at Mackey, yeah. Unbelievable. Unguardable. He was unguardable. Uh the uh, probably the second best performance. I, no, not probably. It's the second best performance I've ever seen from an opponent uh, at Mackey Arena. Evan Turner going for thirty-two for Ohio State would be the other. But yeah, so I mean those the, not only I mean those two sting because you're losing to your rival, but in the way that you lost both of those games. And the fact of the matter is, and let's we'll just stick to the facts here. You know, Mike Woodson's three and one against Purdue. There's only one coach, only one in the country that has beaten Purdue three times. Uh, or more in the last two and a half seasons, and it's Mike Woodson. He's the only guy. Now, a couple coaches have beaten Purdue twice, but they haven't gotten to three uh, like like Woody has done. So, uh, yeah, I think Purdue certainly will be. I don't think motivation is going to be the concern tomorrow. I think just can Purdue play well enough to win. Motivation is not going to be the problem going into that game tomorrow night. What did they do with all that confetti last year? (laughs) It's a great question. I never actually asked. Again, because you couldn't. There's no celebration. It's no. not like we all took it home with us and, and poured it on our heads Sunday afternoon, sitting at home. Uh, I don't know what they did. Can you sell it back to the people that sold it to I, you? I have no idea. Yeah, maybe that, you can that, save it that, for that, another confetti type of event, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> well, but but it's in the rafters. Does it just set up there in five-gallon buckets <laughs> until you need it again? I don't know. I don't know how this works. Well, I mean, can you, is it still up there right now? Could you go check? Not. That again, my I'm I'm dumbfounded. I couldn't tell you. Hell, maybe it's still up there. I, I have no idea. <laughs> oh man, yeah, you're right about that though. You you gotta celebrate, you know, that sitting on your couch the next day. So man, yeah, that's... just not. It's just it. Look, you really you you feel fortunate that you're a Big Ten champion, and you're awfully proud of that. <laughs> and I look, I'm just the broadcaster, right? I'm not. I don't coach. I don't play. But it just isn't quite as much fun when you're, you're sitting there on your couch rooting for another team to lose so you can be a Big Ten champion, right? Yeah. And, look, at the end of the day, Purdue won the league by three games anyway. That that one game did not actually make that big of a difference. But, uh, yeah, if, if you celebrate sitting on the couch rooting for someone else to lose, that just takes some of, the, some of the joy out of it. Hey, one final thing. I may have asked you this a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember. Give me like the first thing off the top of your head in the the difference in improvement for Zach Eady this season. Uh, passing, uh, and I think in part of that it's not you know it's kind of a fifty fifty deal. He was a willing and and very uh, good passer last year. It just Purdue didn't shoot the ball well. Thirty two percent from three as a team. This year, Purdue's at 40, what, right at 41, I think, percent as a team. So all those open open three-point shooters that he's finding this year, when the double teams or the triple teams come, now those shots are going in. And so now his assist numbers are going up. His turnover numbers are coming down uh, as well because he's more confident in finding those shooters. Uh, but certainly uh, his passing, again, it's not, it's not as if he made this huge jump uh, skill-wise passing from one year to the next it's that now his passes are finding their way into shooters that are capable of making those shots. But but he certainly is an improved passer, and 
and Purdue's been better for it, that's for sure. All right, he's staying in Zionsville tonight, not going down with the team to Bloomington. So, yeah, you're going to stay in Zionsville. Now, what time do you get down there? When are you leaving tomorrow? Uh, so, I will be there at, uh, let's see, we play at 7. I'll get to the team hotel about 2.30 or so to tape the Matt Painter pregame interview. So, uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Ah, all right, well, hey, drive safely. And uh, listen, the other night, you guys were on, uh, you and Bobby were on Sirius XM. I was listening on my way home, and you guys sounded fantastic. Even in that loss in Lincoln, I had to reach out to you because I, I just the, the whole sound of the broadcast, it was uh, in a loss or not, it was a great, it was a great sound, great listen. Um, and uh, I'm going to give you a thumbs up. Job well done. Well, thank you for listening, John. It is appreciated. You got it. Well, I can't listen here locally because crew car wash ripped my antenna off, so I don't get... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Get get the Varsity Network app. That's what I tell (laughs) you. I've got to do that. Hey, safe travels, man, and uh, we'll do it again soon, Rob. Thanks, man. Okay, see you, John. It's uh, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. True story. I haven't had AM on uh, the truck in a while. Crew car washes rip that thing right off. I go in there all the time. All the time. Nothing better. You go early and that lemony, fresh smell that gets inside your vehicle. That's awesome. I'm getting washed all the time. Quick break. We'll come back. Top of the hour, Jeremiah Johnson's out in Salt Lake City. Get the Pacers and the Jazz tonight. You got Stephen Holder in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Collect them, trade them, or just enjoy them. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hour two, thank you for joining us. Did you know James Imagine Dragons from Utah? Lead singer Dan Reynolds. Brigham Young University. I was thinking about that as the Pacers... Embark on this second of a back-to-back in Salt Lake City later on tonight. Bands from the state of Utah. You guys got anything out there for me? I know this. I believe the Osmond family is from the state of Utah. So that would include any of the Osmond's hits. What do they have? One bad apple spoils the whole bunch, girl. One bad apple spoils. A whole bunch, girl. I don't think I've ever actually heard that song. Bad Apple, I believe, by the Osmonds. Uh, clearly, in the 80s, Donnie Osmond, it was a reclamation project for him, and he's got a, a number of songs, including Soldier of Love, I believe. I was trying to think of another band. Neon Trees. You remember the Neon Trees, James? Uh, I have never about heard of them. About 10 or so years ago, I believe, no. from the state of Utah. I'm, I'm probably missing somebody right now, but those are the ones off the top of my head. Stephen Holder coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. If you missed Rob Blackman, Boilermaker, Radio Network, play-by-play man. Of course, you get Purdue and IU tomorrow down in Bloomington. Rob joined us earlier about the breakdown of both sides of it. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. As always, thank you guys for hanging in. And on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline in Salt Lake City, Jeremiah Johnson, Pacers TV. 
is with us. The roughest, they say, of the back-to-backs. Mountain time zone to mountain time zone. And I, I wish, honestly, I wish they would have played in Salt Lake City yesterday and Denver today. But you didn't get that wish. Now, is it as tough on you, the broadcaster, as it is the players? Well, John, I think one of the unusual parts about this one was you went from Atlanta to Denver, and it sometimes it takes you a day or two just to get acclimated to the time zone, but then it felt all out of whack on Sunday because it was an afternoon game, and it was the first one of those this season. So I kind of spent the entire day Sunday trying to figure out what time it was and what time the pregame show was, what time I needed to be on the bus, and then when – when the team actually finally landed in Salt Lake City, it felt like it was about midnight. In reality, it was only uh, about <laughs> 9 o'clock. And so uh, I've not felt the effects of the actual altitude. That's something you'd have to ask the players. But I just had a workout. Got a workout in, in the uh, uh, on the treadmill, and I'm feeling good. And hopefully the, the team has some energy for this second half of the back. Do you work out on the road often? Yep, I'm in a 41 treadmill challenge, so – the goal is to do a 5K at every single hotel that we're in, and so far I've got perfect attendance. Today was the hardest one because I had a lot of things to do, and then I got the request to join your show, but luckily I had enough time to fit it all in. <laughs> now, now who else is in this competition? Oh, it, it, it's just me. I'm the one that oh. needs it, and then I, I send a photo to my family on the group text just to let them know that I'm actually uh, – living up to it but uh i gotta get in a little bit better shape and so this wasn't a new year's resolution it was a new season resolution but so far so good so um does denary work out on the road too i know he's a big orange theory guy isn't he i think he does crossfit but that's oh. just when he's at home I, oh, okay. i've yet to see him in in the uh, workout facilities on the road but again I, i've got more to lose than him so well, he's probably doing just fine with what he gets at home I, it has to be difficult especially on a, a lengthy road swing like this i mean you're eating out all the time i don't know I, how do you gauge that has to be tough i don't know how you gauge that yeah and then you've got the plane after a game there's a nice spread so you get some food there you, you eat on the plane and it's midnight um it is challenging and you've got to uh, the other thing that's a little underrated, too, this is a 12-day road trip, and if you work out five times, that's five sets of sweaty shirts. So by the end of the trip, uh, you're ready to come home for sure. <laughs> well, and I mentioned this, just for the sake of the matchups, I don't know if you agree with me. I had, had talked about I, I wish Utah would have been last night. And again, Utah's won five straight. Eight of nine, much different than what we saw back on November the 8th at Cambridge Fieldhouse when the Pacers beat them. But uh, maybe just because I, I don't know if I'd call it, I guess I would call it easier than Denver because you know what you're going to get in Denver. There's still a little bit of question, I guess, what you're going to end up getting with Utah in a game with no Halliburton. As it turned out, no Neesmith. I, I wish the the venues, the games, the destinations would have been flipped. Yeah, I guess you could look at it both ways. The one thing I'll say is when you're going to play the world champions and you've got Bruce Brown getting his ring, and even though you don't have Tyrese Halliburton and you don't have Aaron Neesmith, there's a little extra juice to the game and to the atmosphere. So I guess if you have that on the second half of the back-to-back, maybe that helps. Now you're fatigued. Now you're coming to Utah. You're playing a team, and this is tough just from the mental perspective. You destroyed them at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and if you think it's going to be like that, it might be rough tonight because the Jazz are just a completely different team. And the other thing, uh, you, you know you don't have Halliburton. Aaron Neesmith's questionable, and now Bruce Brown is questionable. Mm. And meanwhile, you look at the Utah Jazz injury report, and anyone that is of significance for them is pretty much available and healthy. So it's a tough matchup. It's a challenge. The one thing that I'll say, no matter what happens, is what the way the Patriots played from you know December 26th until 
Friday night, it did give them a little bit of a cushion. That's not to say you want to give up games, but where you were sitting like eight games over 500, knowing this January schedule is so difficult, it did give you a little bit of a buffer if you encounter some difficulties on this trip. So Jeremiah Johnson, Pacers TV, Salt Lake City tonight, the destination. It is the Pacers and the Jazz, the second of a back-to-back. Go back to yesterday for a moment. I mean, you know what you're going to get uh, against you know Jokic. You know what you're going to get against Murray. Now, Porter Jr. is really good, but I thought he was the difference in that game because he was an offensive constant, right? Whereas you had foul trouble and Murray, but I thought the constant was Porter Jr. in that game yesterday. Agree? I agree. It's what makes that team so difficult. And and Rick Carlisle mentioned maybe it's terms of five-man ratings, one of the best starting groups in the NBA. I would say maybe you compare Denver and and Boston favorably if they're both at full strength and and having a five-man combination where everybody can really contribute and do a variety of things. You're so focused on Murray and Jokic that sometimes you have to at least give a little bit of space to Porter Jr., But from what I've seen, when he's been healthy and the Pacers have played him in his career, I mean, he's lights out from outside the arcs. Health has always been the big key for Michael Porter Jr. But when healthy, he seems like the perfect fit. And he obviously helped that team win a championship last year. And it was one of those games where I agreed exactly with what Rick Carlisle said afterwards. No faulting the effort. They played hard. It was a game that was right there for the taking with about six minutes left. And under the circumstances, that's all you can ask for. But it's maybe asking for a little bit too much as currently constructed to go take that from Denver in their building. Uh, when you're trailing by six, you just almost have to pay, play perfect down the stretch, and the Pacers just weren't able to do that. Yeah, there was that, that possession. Miles had a straight-on look for three that I thought, all right, if he makes that right there, things might have been different. Yeah, I mean, the, the entire game, they were just hanging around, hanging yeah. around. And if Tyrese Halliburton was healthy, you would have felt great about the opportunity to go and steal one but they just couldn't really make that play offensively. And they're not as good offensively, obviously. It's not any breaking news without Halliburton. So you've got to get it done on the defensive end. They were able to force turnovers. They were able to crash the glass. Those are two things that as long as Tyrese Halliburton is out, they're going to have to do to be successful is force turnovers and get some putbacks and second chance points. And and I think what also gets out of whack, and we talk about the scoring and the distribution of a guy that's an elite level player like Halliburton, but the timing's just off. Because you know, Bruce Brown, Andrew Nimhart, the timing of them with the ball on high ball screens or dribble handoffs, it, it's just different. And you can tell these guys, it takes them maybe a tenth of a second to consider what they're doing. Whereas with Halliburton out there, it's just, all right, if I'm here, this is where the ball is going to be. I mean, it's like a puzzle that's put together, but certainly is without a significant piece with Halliburton. Those are two of the offensive things I think you can see without him that at least stand out to me. That's a really good point. And let's evaluate the last week since Tyrese Halliburton was injured. The Boston game, you had a little bit of that that backup quarterback boost when a quarterback is injured. And then at the end of the game, the second half, the backup comes in and, and everyone plays great. You got that win. You played Washington. Okay, well, they are one of the worst teams in the league, so you just had to do what you do with that group. But then the last two nights, even with the win in Atlanta, there were some times during that game where you kind of wanted to scratch your head because it was a little sloppy at that point. Rick Carlisle, uh, despite what was a great performance, 41 assists, there were a ton of turnovers and mistakes, and there were times during the game where he was using a timeout to stop uh, a 6-0 or a 7-0 run. 
And you saw that rear its ugly head a little bit on, on Sunday. T.J. McConnell's a great change of pace point guard. He's good in, you know, four to five to six-minute stretches. Andrew Nemhart has been injured a lot of the year, so he's been, been unable to get into any real flow consistently extensively. And so that will be the challenge for the rest of this trip. And then as long as Tyrese Halliburton is out is get some of the clunkiness out of there, yeah. take better care of the basketball, have a little bit better flow to the offensive game. So Jeremiah Johnson joins us. Absolutely right about that. And another example was Jordan Warren now getting some clock, and he looked a half – uh, a step, maybe a full step behind. And, you know, it makes sense because he rarely plays. And now all of a sudden he's thrust out there. And you could tell sometimes he was not in the spot where teammates expected him to be. Yeah, there's been so many times this season, though, you've seen the end of the game, a five-man combination that you did not expect. And that has been, you know, Rick Carlisle riding the hot hand, a group that had been playing well together. But when you have a guy that hasn't been playing much at all and he had a good game, I believe it was against Washington, and you want to give him the opportunity. And here's the other thing that he does. He does give you an offensive spark. He's a scoring threat whenever he gets the ball. But then just that flow and maybe that clunkiness that you mentioned earlier, that's going to be something that will come with time. And so we don't know about Aaron Neesmith right now. We don't know about Bruce Brown. Those are primarily backcourt players. Tyrese Halliburton's out. But, but Jordan Warwick could be someone that then moves into a wing playing time situation and so you hope he can get into a little bit better flow um he had a shot or two there in the fourth quarter that if he would have knocked those down similar to the one that you mentioned to miles turner yep. things could have gone differently and you know for a guy like that you feel for him because there's probably so much pressure on him when he gets that opportunity he played well against washington but this would have been even a bigger stage and a bigger chance to prove you know who he is and what he's capable of and then when a shot doesn't go down, maybe you're pressing a little bit harder the next time, and he doesn't know when the next time he's going to get his number called. Yeah, you're right. It was off that Obi Toppin steal to where he was kind of – he was undec- indecisive, I guess, about you know go to the basket or shoot a float or something like that. That was the moment I think you're talking about that was pivotal, I felt, in the fourth quarter yesterday. Yeah, and again, you credit the Denver Nuggets and Jokic. Sometimes you watch him and you watch for maybe four or five minutes and you say, what's the big deal? And then all of a sudden you look down and he's 12 for 13 from, from the field and he has the nine assists. And even though in Denver they like to say that he doesn't get any respect from the officials, he certainly uh, manages to ask for calls quite frequently. And I don't know, I, I feel like he gets enough respect as it is. So that's still a team. I look out west, I have a lot of respect for the Timberwolves and the Thunder, but those are still young teams. Probably, if you ask me right now, uh, that, that Denver group, if they can fortify the bench a little bit. And that second unit is a lot of guys you haven't really heard of. And, and last night, or yesterday, I should say, their second unit didn't give them a lot. It was a lot of heavy minutes from the starters. If they could bring in another guy or two off the bench, I would say they've got a really good chance to, at the very least, be back in the finals. I had told you this yesterday during the broadcast. I I did not realize, and I I know this, I know all NBA teams, certainly to a level, do a lot of crying. I had no idea Denver cried after every single call to the level in which they do. And I still, I'm trying to figure out, DeAndre Jordan, why why was he so pissed? He just looked like he got out there and he was mad. And certainly, I I forget which official it is, but he is no fan of that particular official because all of that ire was directed at him before he got tossed. It was. I mean, he comes in the game and he sets the screen, and I felt like he must have thought he was targeted because he got an offensive foul, and then it happened again almost immediately. Yeah, he was moving, too. It was a good call. He was moving. 
At least one of them for sure. The other one was 50-50, but that's a call that you see a lot in the NBA. And it wasn't necessarily T.J. McConnell overreacting or flopping. It's just a case of a guy built like a wall and T.J. McConnell running into him. He's going to react a little bit. And so it's going to show if you move into uh, the defender a little bit. I agree with you. I, I think for the last few years, Denver's been trying to get some respect and they've been a little not happy with maybe the national attention they get. You turn on the shows nationally and everyone talks about the Warriors and Lakers and they don't talk a lot about the Nuggets, but they got their championship last season. So I feel like they should probably move on from that storyline just a little bit, but if they want to play with a chip on their shoulder, it benefits them. And again, you're right. A lot of people complain. Sometimes it's gamesmanship. Sometimes it's to get a call at the other end. And I didn't even realize watching, but Rick Carlisle did point out in the postgame press conference about a 14-minute stretch where Denver did not get a foul called against them. So maybe it worked for them. So Jeremiah Johnson's got Pacers TV tonight, of course. You get the Pacers in Utah against the Jazz as they continue this Western Road swing. You called it, and I thought it was accurate, clunky. And I think you got clunky performances for those in for Tyrese Halliburton yesterday. Whether we're talking about Nimhart or McConnell, they both had moments to where you go, okay, that's good, but I, I thought clunky was an accurate description as you described the team. I think also it was accurate to describe those taking the place of Halliburton yesterday. Yeah, I mean, to beat Boston, to win men in Washington, or against Washington and to win in Atlanta – is a best-case scenario in the immediate aftermath of losing Tyrese Halliburton. The realistic view moving forward is you now just want to, um, you know, this is me talking, this is obviously not the players or the team, but can you win about every other game? Can you go about 500 from this point forward now until Tyrese Halliburton returns? And if you can, you're in a much better spot than you were last season when Halliburton was injured. It's tough to project and, and to give you a date of when he might come back. And with each game that you play without him, some of that clunkiness will go away a little bit. But I do think it's important to state and to realize, you know, just we've been putting some lines in, you know, the, the, the practice on the 19th, the Christmas day from that point forward. But, but since Christmas, and Halliburton's been a big part of that, they're 9-2 and two with losses to only the Celtics and the Nuggets, two teams again, if I had to, to say right now, might be the two teams in the NBA Finals. So, You've, you've weathered the storm early, at least in the year in a challenging schedule, and then early in the Tyrese Halliburton injury. Now the road trip continues. This is, a, this is a really challenging situation and game tonight, so it will not be easy. But can you, can you figure out a way on this six-game trip to come home three and three? I think that would be a, a really good accomplishment and would set them up well for the time that you can then hope to welcome Tyrese Halliburton back. I'm not going to hold you to anything here, but certainly you're close to him and he's a part of that team. How does Halliburton look coming back from this injury from the times where you see him, you know, getting a slight workout into just his overall reaction about dealing with, with this right now. How does it look to you? Is it, let's just say, for example, is it more favorable to what you know now than it was when that injury initially occurred last week. Yeah, let's think back to what we were thinking as we went to bed Monday night and woke up Tuesday morning and we were anxiously awaiting the news of the MRI. Now, that's just a week ago. And so you get what seemed like a very favorable report. And then you, you had a week at home where you didn't really see him or get a chance to talk to him. But I was surprised, and I shared you know the video on social media on Friday at the Pacers shoot around in Atlanta of him shooting. Now it was nothing extensive and it was by design to just get some shots up 
they were almost set shots, although, uh, you know, not that much different than the way he shoots his outside shot, the mid-range variety. But then also to see him on Sunday in Denver come out before the game with, you know, the building had a lot of fans in it when he was doing his workout on Sunday. So he's not trying to hide anything. He's trying to take advantage of the times to get little by little, more improvement, more things done. I wouldn't go as far as to say anything that I've seen him do has been working up a significant sweat or, you know, an extensive workout. But I'll be honest, I, Friday shooting, I was surprised he was able to do that out on the court before, as early as he was, considering that it happened late on Monday night. And that was Friday morning that I saw him in Atlanta. So we're not going to play the, you know, every day, give us a timetable. The team says when he returns from the road trip, which would be next Tuesday, so a week a week from tomorrow, they'll take another look at and see where things are. And um, But, again, it's better than I thought it would be. Every time I see him out there shooting and smiling and being happy, it does feel like it's it's the, the team definitely dodged a bullet, and I think that's the internal feeling as well. It's uh, Jeremiah Johnson with us. Regarding Utah, I mentioned that they are much different than when we first saw them at Gambridge Fieldhouse going back to early November. Uh, we know about marketing. Uh, he's their top scorer. Jordan Clarkson is always kind of a, a spark plug offensively wherever he is in the NBA. But here's what stands out to me. It is the number of players that they have with 30-plus starts this season. I mean, or, or I should say the number of – I guess I should say the number of players they have with starts this season. seems like they've been testing out a lot, and maybe to this point – they have found a little bit of an answer over this five-game win streak and eight of their last nine. Yeah, I'm always curious the team performance compared to what the front office goal and expectation was for the season. And last season, they started out really strong. All of a sudden, you thought a team that was maybe going to be in the lottery was going to be in the playoffs. And then towards the end, they were back to where maybe you expected. This season, I think they were willing to see how good they could be acquiring John Collins was a significant move to add a veteran. And you still have guys like Olenek and Clarkson and Markkinen that may not be part of – I mean, Markkinen, I think, would be. I'm not sure about the others, but guys to be part of your future build towards a playoff appearance. And so they had a lot of injuries. They had, as you mentioned, a lot of guys get some starting opportunities. And I think they're a well-coached team. So their depth is going to be better in this game tonight than the Pacers saw from the Denver Nuggets because they've got a lot more – above average, I would say, NBA players and not a team built along, built around three or four stars like Denver. So that'll be an interesting matchup because without Halliburton, that's kind of how I view this Pacers team, that they've got eight or nine guys that are really good and that can give you 15 to 18 points. And what we've, what we've seen in the last two games is seven to eight in double figures, nobody with, with 20 points. And you'll see some similarities, I think, with Utah. They do have their, their all-star available, though. That's Lowry Markkinen. And for as much as the Pacers saw him in Cleveland and in Chicago and in the Central Division, he seems to be a completely different player in Utah. And he's someone that I probably would begin any plan or scouting report against. And then as soon as, as, soon as Jordan Clarkson checks in, he started a lot at the beginning of the year. It seems like he could be sixth man of the year type of candidate for the next three or four years if he stays in that role because he'll check in the game five seconds in. If he's open, he's probably going to shoot it. So you got to be aware of wherever double zero is when he checks in. I, I don't know if it's the next game or not, but after Utah, of course, you guys fly out to Sacramento, play Sacramento and the Kings on Thursday. Did you see Mike Brown last night? 
regarding the uh, the laptop and the foul calls. It it always makes me wonder with that initial reaction how much that's going to help. I, I'm assuming that Sacramento plays again between now and on Thursday, but I kind of wonder if that, besides getting him fined, which it will, if that's going to help the situation out in that next game. I had the same thought, and I immediately looked at the Sacramento schedule last night after I saw that, and if it is a positive or a good news situation, they are in Phoenix tomorrow night, take on the Suns while the Pacers will be watching that game from Sacramento. Nice. And will have a chance to rest up a little bit. But And the other benefit, and they often talk about this, is they were on a long road trip where they went east. They're venturing back closer to the west. They wrap up their trip in Phoenix. It's the first game back home for them from that trip. So hopefully they're just a little bit rusty. Hopefully – all of the makeups, if they happen, uh, come tomorrow night, and then the Pacers will get a chance. But uh, this is tough because Utah and Sacramento are two teams. They're not the first three or four that you mentioned in the Western Conference, but they might be up there in the top three or four in the entire league, to me personally, of home court advantages. And so you've got Utah tonight. It's, it's a different kind of court. It's a crowd that's super into the game as long as Utah is playing well, which they've won five straight. And I don't think there's any building in the NBA as loud as what Sacramento has when they're playing well. And, you know, Tyrese Halliburton will not play, but Buddy Heald is uh, likely to play. And he will get uh, the ire of the crowd in Sacramento. So even though the Pacers will be rested, this is a tough two-game stretch. And, and, uh, you know, I still will maintain what I said at the start of the trip and said just now. If you get to 3-3 and on this six-game trip, I think you would take it and be very happy. No, JJ, it's about survival with this thing without Halliburton. I mean, it really is. And you, know, you, you did what you needed to do at the start in Atlanta, and you had your opportunities. I, I didn't mind the way that they played. They just uh, didn't hit shots down the stretch, and obviously Denver did. But I'd be interested to see what they look like tonight. And here's another one, too, I think, to circle, and, and not leaving out Sacramento, but you know, coming off of that embarrassing home loss back in November to Portland, you get Portland on the second of, I believe, a back-to-back. That's a Thursday and Friday, so it's a Friday in Portland. So if you didn't have much motivation already, the fact that that team did to you what it did earlier this season might be a little bit on a Friday night in Portland later on in this trip. I would agree with you. You uh, you don't want that to happen again. I think that was a little bit of the extra motivation that helped the team get over the hump and get that win against Chicago after Christmas because the Bulls had defeated you earlier in the season. And, you know, you mentioned the game in Atlanta and then the Denver game. You shot 67% from the field against Atlanta. You dropped down to 47% against Denver. You want to be somewhere in the middle consistently. I mean, that would be great if you could do that. But even just a little bit above 50%. And so uh, you're never going to be, you know, oh, wow, 67%. You can't expect to do that. That was just one of those outlier type of games. But you got to be a little bit better offensively than you were against Denver. And I'll see what kind of defensive resistance the Pacers see the next few games. To me, the teams that are in the top five or six defensively in the NBA, they're the ones that have given the Pacers the most challenge. I don't have the, the defensive ratings in front of me, but I at least don't go into – uh, I don't go into Utah, Sacramento, Portland thinking, well, those are the teams like the Magic and the Celtics right. and the Sixers that, that play really, really good defense. So that's another reason to give you a little bit of optimism. And when you mentioned Portland, games on the second half of the back-to-back have been more challenging this season than others. And part of that could be just the style the Pacers play. When you run up and down, and that's one of your strengths, 
it can catch up to you a little bit maybe in the second half of the back-to-back. So I will be interested to see what happens, not just tonight, but then also in that game Friday in Portland. I get caught looking ahead, too, and notoriously that first home date after a long road trip is the toughest. And if Pacer fans look ahead to see a week from tomorrow night, you get Denver and then Thursday, Philadelphia, and then Friday, Phoenix, and then Sunday, Memphis. Here, I mean, Memphis may be the outlier, but those three coming off that Western road trip at home, it may be great to be back home, but holy hell, J.J. I know. On our podcast, Pat Bowen and I, at the start of the month or maybe the last week of December, we looked at that January slate, and he did the same thing you just did, and I hadn't really fully yes. grasped everything that was in, that they were encountering. It's ridiculous. And I fell off my chair as well. And, and he said at the time, I think it was a, it's a 17-game month, which is also the, the, more, the most games in a month that the Pacers have had in like seven or eight years. And he said, well – 17 games, I think you'd be okay with eight and nine, honestly. And I, you know, eight and nine doesn't sound like success, but then given the opponents, I thought, well, that's not outlandish. Nine and eight would actually be fantastic. And that's why that stretch at home and to win the two games against Milwaukee and one of those games against Boston and then to not let up in any of those um, against maybe the Bulls or the Knicks or the Wizards or the Hawks, that was crucial. I mean, that does set them up to survive try to survive the next few weeks. And when we had that discussion, we didn't know that Tyrese Halliburton would be injured. So that's just another <laughs> another wrinkle that you have to add to it. I think this team would be happy to just get to the all-star break somewhere in the top six or seven in the Eastern Conference with a healthy roster and then make that push in late February and March. All right. We'll be checking it out coming up later on tonight. I know between your workout and staying on track and getting all this work done prior – yeah, I appreciate you dropping in here today because I know your, your time is precious without question in Salt Lake City. I appreciate you, brother. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, all the Pacer fans, I have a lot of them that tell me they enjoy when I'm on, so I appreciate Hell you. Hell yeah, uh, they do. They the better. Or they're going to get their ass whipped. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I thank you, buddy. Right, thanks, John. All right. All right. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports Indiana's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. JMV, once upon a time on HBO, I think it was 10 plus years ago, there was a show that was fictitiously based out of Utah. Do you remember what it was? You remember what it was? I believe they're talking about Big Love here. I've also never heard of that show. Big Love on HBO? Bill no. Paxton? I mean, I like, I like Paxton, Gene but. Triplehorn, I think. Big love. Bill Paxton had like uh, two or three wives. Oh. Yes. Yes. Uh, he was the patriarch. A fundamentalist Mormon family. He had two or three wives in the show, you mean, they not, were, they not were, in real life. No, right. Yeah, yeah it was a, a polygamous family. Gotcha. Right there. Gotcha. In Utah. Big love was that HBO show you're asking about right there. Thank you, Reed. Quick break. We'll come back. Your call's on the other side. We've got uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN. A little football conversation coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. 93.5107. Find the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Give me my theme music! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. So I did not know this. According to Matt, the Killers are from Utah. 
No idea. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Utah, the state of Utah's got some nice bands there. <laughs> Big love was it, too. Mark just sent me this, and this is lengthy. I'm going to try to go through it as quickly as I can, and then I'm going to give you my incredibly quick answer to this in a moment. Mark writes, JMV, still more unfounded cheering for C.J. Stroud. And granted, I completely understand that you probably don't give a crap. I do just have an answer I want you to hear at the tail end of this. And it talks about going back to the Georgia game and how C.J. Stroud missed Marvin Harrison Jr. and blah, blah, blah. I feel the Colts will be fourth in the division because Tennessee will upgrade. Levis may end up healthier than any of these quarterbacks. Jacksonville and Lawrence better than ours, and now Houston is better than us with their Terrence Pryor. What? (laughs) Who's Terrence Pryor? Terrell Pryor, not Terrence Pryor. C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew will keep us behind the others. So, hooray for C.J. when he gets blown up next weekend with Kansas City or Buffalo. Any strong defense will cover him up, and the Colts and the Browns showed nothing by the end of their seasons, although the Colts did draw 11 penalties against that polished Houston offense under C.J. Stroud. And they threw to one guy, one legitimate wide receiver, while we threw to running back three when it counted. Anthony and CJ will be nice mid-level quarterbacks of healthy, nice try to support the Big Ten guy, but the eye shows they're just new blood. Here's the problem, Mark. This email shows that you are a tremendous numbnut. I have no idea what you're talking about. And my short answer to it all, besides just your level of numbnuttery here, in that lengthy response is, can you not just say, how hard is it to say the guy has been really good? Like when you factor in Anthony Richardson, okay, I understand. We, we haven't seen that yet. I have no idea what you're going to see either. And in fact, you're not going to know until November of next year, provided he plays, he stays healthy and he plays. But I don't know what to tell you. If C.J. Stroud hasn't shown you what he is as a rookie quarterback or hasn't impressed you with what he has accomplished as a rookie quarterback, and frankly, I don't care what Kansas City might do or what Buffalo might do. Houston's going to the divisional round of the postseason while others are sitting on their ass at home watching Hope and wondering, carving out paragraph-long emails about how somebody sucks when really not explaining thoroughly why you think somebody sucks. So my answer would be just give credit where credit is due. And the fact that he throws to one guy, that's more about him than it is anything else. That to me is incredible. Yeah, I'm not the the big Big Ten supporter. I just, I will give credit what credit is due. And you can't talk enough about the credit that that guy deserves for this rookie season, for the way this rookie season has gone along to where they are right now. Been incredible. Incredible. And again, 
Yeah, we'll see if Will Levis is the most healthy and he's the better quarterback of anybody. I just find it really difficult to understand. I mean, any, and I mean any at all sitting here right now, any at all arguments regarding how fortunate and or lucky C.J. Stroud has been. It looks to me like he is beyond legit. I don't get that. Hey, by the way, Mark does say the killers are from Las Vegas, not Utah. My wife and I have seen them eight times together, and they say that they are from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. I did say this, Mark. I saw where Imagine Dragons, they're based in Vegas, but from Utah. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But I don't know enough to know, so I'll go go with your, uh, your thought right there. I still don't know why you can't give credit where credit is due. The other thing I didn't understand at the beginning of the show was this. John Dishauer is a meteorologist and talked about the opener. I had two things that really got to me over the weekend that I truly didn't understand. This is like national scope crap. But one was, you know, how how soft everybody was for not playing this Buffalo-Pittsburgh game when it was originally scheduled. That would have been stupid. I mean, call call them soft if you want, but it's better than calling them stupid. Sending people out in that blizzard, those can do. Are you kidding me? And I'm not talking about the players in the game. I'm talking about fans and those that are working the game. You're going to send them out in that. So calling the NFL soft for going along with the state of New York and moving that time of that game back and playing it right now, the Steelers and the Bills made all the sense in the world. And let me tell you this. The soft callers that are out there, those that, you know, everything's soft to the, they're the softest of the soft. That's all you need to know. They're the ones looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? I better call somebody soft because I'm the fattest and the soft of the softest. That's me. So I didn't really understand that. This seems to be. A really good decision made considering the way that it looked this time yesterday. And John talks about that. Would have resulted in someone maybe being injured, dying, and trying to travel to and from the game. And it's not just the fans. I mean, there are a ton of people who work those games. You don't want to mess with that. Made all the sense in the world. And the other thing is the whole, the whole Taylor Swift, this is all lost on me why that's such a bad thing. I need, like, somebody of that magnitude to like me in this show. That's what I need. There's no doubt. I need somebody I need somebody like that to love this show as much as Taylor Swift loves Kansas City and her reported boyfriend, the tied in Travis Kelsey. I think it's great. Like, I thought that video of her getting into it with the crowd yesterday, or yesterday, when was it? Saturday night, I'm sorry. Saturday night. I thought it was great. No idea. Oh, this is detrimental. I can't believe this is tough on viewership. And then Tony Dungy saying what he said about it. It's just cringeworthy. Who cares? I know. And I feel bad about defending it because I would like to just say in general, who cares? It's a good thing. Two things over the weekend I just frankly did not and will not understand about people and their particular opinions all right quick break and we'll come back we got Stephen holder coming up at the top of the hour seriously mike epps is awesome i love when mike epps comes to town and he's clearly a pacers fan
if you got somebody like globally renowned, you know how great that would be here? We'd love that. It'd be great. <laughs> I need that too. I know I got Clayton Anderson, Clayton Anderson. Certainly renowned country music artist, singer. Oh, that'd be absolutely fantastic. By the way, Bills and Steelers ongoing right now. Bills uh, driving first down inside the 15. I want to say, did Pittsburgh get the ball first or did the Bills get the ball first? Pittsburgh got the ball first and punted. Yeah. So the Bills on the move. I'm telling you, I have the Bills in the Super Bowl. Famous last words. They're your Super Bowl pick? No, I have San Francisco winning it. I have the Niners Niners and the Bills in the Super Bowl. Who'd you have? I have Niners beating the Ravens. All right. Is that still up there right now? I think so, yeah. Because who picked the Cowboys? Was it? I think Jake picked the Cowboys. He's going to get mad at me for saying that right here. (laughs) I think uh, he and Kev Bowen. I think, yeah, they both picked the Cowboys. Field Yates Jr. Bowen picked the uh, Cowboys. Come on now, Kev. And Brandon King, I think, picked the Rams. Yeah, he did. I I will say this. Watching the Rams in Detroit in that first half was awesome. You talk about two quarterbacks in that first half last night. They were throwing absolute seeds on target darts. Now, the second half, not so much, but the first half – you talk about ball placement specialist on a line, on a cable, a frozen rope. Both Stafford and Golf were doing that last night. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, too. I was jealous. Bills score. Knox, touchdown, catch. Bills soon to be up 7 nothing, first quarter in this wild card game. And I don't. somebody asked me, Wes asked me earlier if this is the first time I have been on when a playoff game in the NFL has been on. Certainly not with the Colts pregame huddle I've been on before during those. But this would be the first time, I think, during this show that I have been on during a playoff game. And look at all the snow. You imagine the people are getting hit in the head, the snowballs and such right now? Because they couldn't really clear the fans, basically had to clear the stands themselves right there. See, I kind of wish they would leave the snow on the field just because I really wanted a snow game. Yeah. It's amazing the way that it looks right now compared to the way that it looked yesterday. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Buffalo 7-0, 7-0-2, first quarter score. It is the Bills and the Steelers from Buffalo. We'll keep you updated on that. Stephen Holder coming up at the top of the hour. Buccaneers and Eagles later on tonight to close what has been a fashionably enjoyable wild card NFL postseason weekend. The AAA membership lounge via YouTube Live. If you guys want to get there, we'd love to have you in there too. 93.5107 by the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Get him a body bag! Yeah! <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James over there, I'm John. Thank you for joining us. Steelers, Bills, first quarter. Bills up 7 nothing in Buffalo, of course. Wild card matchup in the AFC. Eagles, Buccaneers still to come. Pacers on the road this evening on the road in Utah. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports Indiana, a little bit earlier. That podcast is up, 107.5thefan.com. As you can find Rob Blackman of the Boilermaker Radio Network, the play-by-play voice, also 
up there. A little preview, if you will. Tomorrow night, you get both Purdue and IU down in Bloomington. Rob talked about the Boilermakers went over Penn State this past Saturday. And, and comparing that to the loss going back almost a week ago on Tuesday, both IU and Purdue, if you remember, lost. Uh, on the road each, IU at Rutgers and Piscataway, and then the Boilermakers on the road in Lincoln, losing to Nebraska. And then each one, Friday against Minnesota, IU with that win down in Bloomington, and then at home at Mackey on Saturday afternoon, you get a win out of Purdue over Penn State. By the way, too, a shout-out to my Sycamores. How about the way that they shredded one Belmont? I think Belmont had a win earlier this year over Drake, the Sycamores' lone loss in the Missouri Valley so far. But, man, all over Belmont on Saturday afternoon were the Sycamores. And I did see this, too. And I talk about it all the time because I love it. Always have and always will. I love me some Terre Haute. Now, that love was oftentimes unique to me and maybe not so deeply rooted in others. So I I try to talk Terre Haute up as much as possible. But did you guys see that coming up in, I think, the first week of April, Teradice is officially going to be named Teradice as that casino is set to open over there. The casino is set to open in Terre Haute coming up in the first week of April. There's you're absolutely right. I need to be doing a remote from this casino at some point. I don't know if somebody out there can connect. I've got to be doing a remote. This is just another brick in the wall of greatness for Teradice. So if you know anybody that knows anybody over in Terre Haute, I'm ready to do a remote. I I should have done one by now someplace. Yeah, Moggers, the Terminal. But when they open that casino in April, there is no question the biggest celebrator in central Indiana of Terre Haute at Indiana State University needs to be a part of that. Just let me know. Let me know, and I will be there. Hey, JMV, did you see $20 an hour you could help clear the snow and then go home? No ticket to the game. (laughs) Yeah, I did see that. It is incredible, the conditions. And the way the field looks at Buffalo right now, that's what's most incredible out of all of it. Considering the way it was coming down there, blizzard style yesterday. Yeah, still, you get cold warnings here, single-digit stuff we've been dealing with. Uh, hopefully, you are warm and content wherever you are right now. I did want to give a shout-out because I was out Saturday night. The Jamby Takeover came home. I was on the roads probably after 1 a.m. on Sunday morning. I want to give a shout-out to everybody out there in, in the trucks, clearing the snow at the time and spreading the salt and make sure the roads were, were passable. It wasn't a lot around here, but it certainly was enough to make things slick and hazardous. And I know a lot of the listeners of this show were out there working late on Saturday night and then early Sunday morning. And I saw a lot of you out there as I was rolling home down Bluff and then again down Morgantown. And a shout-out to all of you that continue to make sure the, the roads are good for all of us on not just a daily basis, but by the hour. 
Thank you so much for what you do. Quick break, and we shall return. Stephen Holder of ESPN. An update on this NFL-AFC wildcard matchup in Buffalo. That and a lot more coming up. Don't go anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. The f- lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Steelers, Bills, first quarter, 7 nothing Bills. First possession of the game for the Bills, they score. I believe this is the third for the Steelers here in the first quarter. They're still looking for points in what is a fantastic-looking field in Buffalo with the snow and all the weather they had to deal with yesterday. That is uh, rather incredible. We come back with sponge and plowed for the folks in uh, Buffalo on this afternoon. Uh, welcome back to the show to Rob Blackman, Boilermaker Radio, play-by-play man. We talked IU and Purdue coming up tomorrow night. And Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana. Pacers a loser yesterday afternoon, late evening, I should say late afternoon, early evening here in central Indiana. They lose to Denver. They get Utah, the second of a back-to-back tonight. Nine o'clock, I believe that is uh, here coming up this evening with that matchup. You can hear it, of course, right here on the fan. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN, ESPN.com, Stephen Holder, he does join us. You know, it's funny. I want to start right here, and then we'll move all the way around. Um, I I had an emailer that kind of went all in still uh, questioning C.J. Stroud and just compare the type of rookie season he has had at that position compared to anybody else in a rookie season at that position you have seen. It is, if not standalone, it is nearly standalone the amount of success he's had. Yeah. What what is he questioning? (laughs) Does he not like his hairstyle or uh, his outfit? What are we talking about? We got a long-term non-believer in Stroud and a long-term non-believer in Richardson. And I'll give you Richardson because we haven't seen enough. We think, but we haven't seen enough. But I, I don't know what else Stroud at this point can do. What I, what I really like about CJ Stroud is that rookies tend to throw interceptions and that's the thing he did not do this year. I'm looking at it here, uh, 23 touchdowns, which is impressive in and of itself, but whatever we, there are a lot of touchdown passes in the game today, but the five interceptions, that is remarkable, like astounding to me, uh, just because that tells me number one, that's a guy who sees the field. He has the vision and he also can the reads quickly. You know, I, I think that is something that I was talking to was talking about someone or talking to someone about Justin Fields recently. And I and I said that was my critique was that that's my my reason for doubting Justin Fields is is he making the reads quick enough? I don't know. I mean, if you're talking about you know the whole Bears decision they have to make, you know what I mean? Um, in, in this particular case, this guy, I mean, he, he sees it, you know, and he sees it quick. He gets the ball out. Uh, I think his pocket presence is outstanding. Um, he, 
He has, he's still difficult enough to sack uh, 38 sacks this year. So that's a lot, but, but it's not like he makes it easy for you. I mean, he still has good pocket presence, feels the rush. Uh, the, the sacks were probably more a product of, of the protection than anything else. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I love the guy. I don't. I don't know what there is to not love. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I, I had mentioned too at the start of the show. I was incredibly jealous uh, this weekend for a couple of different reasons. One was the type of crowd response they got, and obviously, I mean, it's been you know more than three decades with that level of success in Detroit for the Lions. That was really cool to see that environment from start to finish, but especially during the finish last night. And incredibly jealous of Houston because of what they're accomplishing right now when we all thought Cleveland could be that type of mark, and that's exactly what we saw on Saturday late afternoon that Cleveland Browns team was for C.J. Stroud in Houston in a situation the Colts could have easily been in. By the way, Buffalo just going to put seven more on the board after a turnover by the Steelers. About to be 14 nothing first quarter Bills over the Steelers. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, you know, I, I would say if you go back, uh, I think – to the McAfee show um, maybe a week ago, uh, C.J. Stroud was on there, and he, he was talking about how, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he mentioned how he thought that the, the game in Indy was the loudest stadium he had played in, I, I assume, in the NFL or college. I don't know. But even if it was just in the NFL, uh, that was a pretty remarkable thing to say. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know, I don't think he's wrong there. That was that was so loud that Saturday night game. It was so loud, and it was an atmosphere we haven't seen nearly enough of in the city. And and to think <laughs> there could have been another one of those on Saturday night. You know that yeah. that's the yep. part that that's kind of crushing if you're a Colts fan. You know, like man, that could have been us. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. And you know that you want that. Those are those are very. Uh, fleeting moments. They're elusive. You don't get them all the time. And, and Indy had another chance to have another one of those moments that, that just have not been produced often enough lately. So I, I think that's where, you know, a, a little measure of additional regret comes in, you know, in, in that they lost that game. So anyway, um, I'm sure everybody else had the same thought. Um, you asked me also about uh, uh what was it? Uh, oh, just I would say the other thing I would say is this: um, the the moment with Houston. I think this this entire season, frankly, I, I see. I'll add another thing: them having the ability to to really evaluate and assess and enjoy a rookie quarterback is another thing that, as a Colts fan, you probably are jealous of because you didn't have that opportunity, and you probably feel. Like he got gypped a little bit, you know? Not anybody's fault. I mean, he got hurt and stuff happens. Talking about Anthony Richardson. Yeah. But it sucks, right? It, it sucks because that's the thing you were looking forward to this season. There's no doubt about it. They made the season enjoyable in spite of that, to their credit. But it really does feel like there was something missing this year. And, and it's funny, I, I talked to a lot of Colts fans, and, you know, the attitude was kind of like, eh, whatever happens, happens. And it's because they felt a little less invested because they were really invested in in the fate of the quarterback. And without him, 
there was definitely something missing. So I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And, and the other thing about it is, and I think Chris even mentioned this to a degree late last week, is that while you feel good about the path this team is on, I mean, it's tough not to. I mean, you see some things certainly that we haven't seen around here in a long time for the good, but there is nothing still etched in stone, and unfortunately, we're not going to see an attempt at etching anything probably until November of next year. And and even though you have a, a season to where everybody – is surprised, and I'm sure there's some happiness about how the regular season went down. You still have to think about that daunting task of uh, a still wait and see process. Even though I think the belief certainly is out there for most that the spot of quarterback is rightly filled here. Yeah, the the thing I would say is that you know the, the reality of the NFL is that things happen fast, and windows they're open today and they're closed tomorrow. And so every, every bit of, of time and opportunity that you lose is incredibly valuable. So the Colts lost some real opportunity this year with Richardson getting hurt. And so next year, Quentin Nelson's a year older and Ryan Kelly's a year older and whoever else, you know, that we can add to that mix, you know, DeForest Buckner, you know, and, and some guys won't be back. You know, there'll be free agents that presumably will move on and the team won't be the same, you know. And so uh, this was, a, in, in retrospect, this was a pretty decent roster. Uh, you know, not a great roster, but a decent enough roster with, with good coaching that uh, it was good enough to, to be a playoff team, but they fell short. And so, anyway, I just look at Jacksonville, for example, right? I mean, we, we kind of crowned them last year. And we made a lot of assumptions. We were wrong. Now, they, they were out in front. They were well out in front. They dropped the ball. But that's just it. That's my point, is that nothing is for sure. So, and this goes back to that conversation you and I had about, I think it was you and I, uh, about, you know, whether we should make a big deal about the opportunity in front of them when it came to the playoffs. Right. And I said, yeah. I mean, look, this, you don't have the luxury of acting like it's not a big deal. Well, I mean, Ballard felt don't. the same way from what I gathered in that presser. I think he, yeah, as, as he should. Yeah. As he should. Um, I mean, look, opportunities are never guaranteed. It's, it's the bottom line. So it is what it is. I mean, I, they did a good job, uh, but they had a great opportunity. And, again, the expectations before you change, uh, and they, they didn't grab that opportunity. Now, circling back to your original point, though, uh, I do think that that's the hard part, man. It's just, you know, that they had an opportunity that we didn't anticipate and, and, and the guy who probably could have taken them further just, you know, couldn't help them this year in Anthony Richardson. Uh, he is Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com, of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah, obviously, we have not had a conversation since uh, both Anthony Richardson and Chris Ballard met with you guys late this past week. And I may have asked you this before, I can't remember, but I have brought this up a number of times. You think now going into this this reboot, the sequel of, of Chris Ballard and knowing who your head coach is and liking it and believing in it, have we seen a not-so-subtle, I, I guess, will we still see a not-so-subtle change in philosophy on where you build a team and how you build a team from Chris Ballard 
from from not just this point on, but I guess once you realize who you have as head coach and what is necessary, is that realization you think set into Chris Ballard now compared to how he used to think is the proper way of building a winning roster? I think the answer is we have to wait and see. I don't think we know. And and here's why I say that. You know, this is kind of a a different um, – and just that they're in a different place than, than they've been certainly in a long time and maybe ever, you know, with, with Chris Ballard, where they have this, this young rookie quarterback and this team that appears to be on the upswing. You know, he had it for a moment with, with Andrew Luck, you know, I guess maybe like one off season. <laughs> and then of course, Luck walked out the door. So we really never got to evaluate the team that they, you know, or truly evaluate or, accurately evaluate, you know, the team that had put together that 2019 run with Andrew Luck because he retired. So it's an opportunity for Chris that, that I think he, he hasn't been able to take is he has some, some relative continuity. Now, you know, who your coach is going to be, you know, who your quarterback is going to be presuming that, that he is who we think he is. He's still going to have some rookie ups and downs next year. Be patient. Uh, they're they're going to happen. But but they're proceeding like he's their guy, Anthony Richardson, okay? So this is kind of a, a new place for Chris Ballard. I think when you do change the back every year, you don't have any continuity. You're not building a damn thing. You're just trying to plug a hole. And so, you know, you, you got a hole in the bottom of the boat and you're trying to plug it. And, and that is a very different approach to team building than – than having a quarterback you can build around who's literally 21 years old. Um, so it, now you can say that and you can admit that and acknowledge that while also saying I have issues with the way Chris Ballard builds the team. Like those two things can both coexist. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I think we can admit that the circumstances have been less than ideal and we can also if you if you choose, you can criticize and take issue with, with how he has proceeded. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I don't say this to to kind of give him a pass. All I'm saying, I'm just acknowledging that this is a different a, a different reality for Chris Ballard than than I think he has experienced in the past. Now, finally, it still remains to be seen whether he takes a more aggressive approach. Um I don't think they're going to go crazy in free agency. What I do think they'll do is, and this is what they're good at, is, is attack those mid-level free agents. You know, the, who's this year's Danico Autry, for example, right? The, those are the guys they have had success with. And I'm fine with that because that's where you get the best value in free agency. You do that and then continue to build what they have. They have a chance to, to move forward. Well, clearly they still need skill position guys offensively notably a wide receiver so the the path of attacking that is that done via mid-level free agency or might you look at you know their first round pick something of that fashion a way to get something that clearly they still do not have with this group moving forward well this year with the first round pick i i'm a big proponent of toward the best player that's on the board. And, and I know everyone says that, but, but they, they need talent everywhere. I mean, they're not, they're not at that point where they can just say, we, we need this and we don't need that. No, I mean, I think they still need talent everywhere. 
Uh, if you want to compete with the best, then you need elite talent. And you get elite talent in the first round. So, so don't go – this is just my perception. I think if you go into that thing restricting yourself to, you know, these two or three positions – I don't know if that's the way to go. I mean, if there's a great safety on the board, and I just say that completely arbitrarily, I just made that up. Uh, if it's a if it's a wide receiver, if it's a, if it's a tight end, if it's a if it, you know even I don't know, it's certainly an edge rusher, whatever. I mean, would you say no to an absolute to the difference maker at any of those spots? I don't think we would. Um, so I think what they've got to do is address some needs in free agency, take the pressure off of you going into the draft so that you can just build talent. Uh, but, but I do think the, the idea or the, the concept you mentioned, though, is true, uh, particularly with Richardson you know, really hopefully uh, taking on his first full year as a starter. You need to have as much talent around him as possible, and, and those include guys who, who handle the football. Hey, obviously in the secondary, that is a major need moving forward. Where would you place the level of need still? But we're talking about doing things that they had only done twice in terms of sacking the opposition's quarterback, you know, in the past, you know, 30 plus years, nearly 40 years, whatever. Um, is that still a need edge rush to you? Still a need, and you know, how do you look at it defensively uh, to you in terms of what is most necessary? Whether you attack that again free agency wise or through the draft. So it, it's interesting. I, I actually like it's, it. Would be fine if they. It would be great if they had some kind of freak edge rusher. You know, like a. I don't know. I'm watching the Steelers here, you know, a, a TJ Watt. I mean, you know, they don't grow on trees, but I'm just sure name out. Right. Uh, sort. That would be great. But, but I will say this, they, they did a, a fantastic job of generating a pass rush with a, you know, with, with sort of a, a group effort a by committee approach. We, we thought they would do that. We thought that would be what it would take. You know, we said that in the preseason, this is going to be a little bit of a, a by committee pass rush because we we didn't anticipate them having you know some sort of 12, 13, 14 sack player and they did not. But but I I, I think we couldn't really appreciate the pass rush like we could like we should have because the back end was bad and I think that's the, that's the bottom line. I think that was the bigger problem for me. Sure, again if if there's a if there's a way to get one of those guys who's who's just a a freak that you can't block. Sure, sign me up. But I'm just saying in terms of, of the defense functioning and being more functional, it would have been more consistently functional if they had some reliable assets on the back end. I'll say this, at least Chris Ballard, I mean, he acknowledged it. He didn't try to duck it. He did say that he decided to go young in the secondary. I disagree with it then, and I disagree with it now. That's on him. Yeah. Um, he has to own that. He did own it. And, and I think if you want to be a team that goes out and competes with that roster of quarterbacks you're going to play next year, then you better get off your tail and you better do something about that secondary. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a bigger issue than the edge rush. Although the edge rush, again, they don't have a single guy that, that, you have, that keeps you awake at night, but collectively they're pretty good. It's funny too. You mentioned that because he, he, he owned, you know, that secondary being his choice and, 
uh, the thing you look at it as you know media member or a fan that is the major difference between you know going to the postseason in this case and not considering what what Stroud and Collins did against them in that final regular season game and it's it's a continuation of kind of a a frustrating history with with some that some fans have with Chris Ballard I mean there have been past seasons where at the end of those seasons we've we've looked back and we've said and and kind of reflected about how Ballard didn't address like the offensive line depth or something and boom sure enough comes back to haunt him um you know, I'm trying to remember what it was in 2022. I guess it was everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, well, I mean, he, yeah. he, I think he, he, I'm not going to say he checked out, but at the moment, Jim Irsay said, all right, this is me. This is Jeff Saturday, which was clearly against any yeah. level of his wishes. There was, there was some saltiness and some rub going on without question. Well, but just, you know, in terms of the yeah. context of this conversation for, you know, just, in terms of the, if you want to call them blind spots that, that Chris Ballard's had over the years, he does tend to do that where he, he either invests too much faith in, in a particular position group or he, um, he just kind of, I don't want to say wings it because that's, that's disrespectful. He's not winging it. He just he takes some liberties, you know, and, and that can go either way. And I thought this year they, they knew that they had a, a tough situation. Stephon Gilmore asked, Isaiah Rodgers gets popped for gambling. So they're already down. Their chips are down from the beginning. Um, you know, you could have gone out and found this year's Rodney McLeod. I don't know. Just you know, throw out a, a yeah. guy who, yep. who helped them a, a year ago. Granted, their, their team was terrible. But I thought you could, you could look back to 2022 and you could see how uh, a veteran safety like that could have really been huge for them this year. Instead, uh, they, they're already young secondary the problems were compounded by the injuries they had, and they didn't have any other options at that point. And I, and I think that could have been mitigated had they done something. Um, instead, they had to do things like move, you know, Ronnie Harrison, you know, from linebacker back to safety, which he was not supposed to play. You know, that's, that's bad in, in advance of a, of, a, of a playoff game, basically, essentially a, a game. And ultimately, the, the AFC South, that is not where you want to be. And that cost them the game, period. Was um was Chris's admission this past week of, you know, obviously going young in the secondary, uh, secondary that being costly, did that save Gus Bradley's gig going into next year? I think it has to be taken into account. I really feel strongly about that. Like, I'm not, like, defending – Gus Bradley, I'm not endorsing, put it that way. I'm not endorsing Gus Bradley one way or the other. I mean, I'm kind of agnostic. I, I, I think it's workable. I mean, there are, there are, there's a conversation to be had about, about the scheme and, and the philosophy behind the scheme. But if you want to talk about the performance of the defense, just, just bottom line, but performance of the defense um, if you're okay with, with him philosophically, we know Chris Ballard's okay with him philosophically because he wanted him to stay. And I can, I can only assume that, uh, that Shane Steichen is, is as well. So if you're okay with it philosophically, then you have to think about, okay, what did we ask him to do? Well, we asked him to 
to go out there and, and function with a secondary that was at times practice squad level. Okay. Um, that's harsh, but it's true. Okay. And so he, what did he, what else did he do? He, he generated more sacks than any Colts team since the Mayflower. I mean, I give him some credit for that. Right. Uh, they were, they were usually pretty good against the run, which is, you know, an area that you always want to look at as well. So I think on the whole, if you're looking at it in, in segments, you can say, okay, pretty good there, pretty good there, really bad here on the back end. Um, what if you improve the personnel there? Can, can he bring that unit up to snuff as well? Maybe. I think maybe he can. And, and it would have a direct impact on the pass rush and an already good pass rush, I think, would have more impact on quarterbacks. Stephen Holder of ESPN's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So there's been flirtations, interviews, so on and so forth, interest back and forth in the past with Ed Dodds. Is this a hiring cycle in which maybe finally he makes a jump? I have a theory that that Ed Dodds isn't sure he wants to be a GM. (laughs) I have no idea. He didn't tell me this, but – I feel like if he if he wanted to be a GM by now, I feel like he could have been. Uh, he has removed himself from searches on a couple of different occasions, at least. And and I know that there are other situations where he he may or may not have uh, taken an interview when there was a request or you know what have you. So um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. This as an observer, I've wondered whether whether he really wants to do it. The other thing about Ed is that he's, he's very much, he's very raw. Like, you know, he's going to call it like he sees it and not everybody loves that. I, I think maybe he's brutally honest. I wonder how that plays in interviews. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm, I'm just saying sometimes maybe owners aren't ready for that. You know, I don't know. Um, it, it is interesting though, that, that he had, he came to Indy, as kind of this this guy who was seen as the next big thing, and you know it's been seven eight years, and and there's been annual interest in him, and it hasn't, no one's pulled the trigger, or either he hasn't pulled the trigger. So I don't know. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I, I have no idea, but I would say he, he did interview with the Raiders, I believe, last year, I think, and uh, I think he had a lot of questions coming out of that interview, and. I think had maybe some some uh, hesitation about moving forward with the Raiders. So maybe things have changed uh, based on you know some some events that have unfolded there over the past year. Yeah, I believe the the interest out there reportedly has been with the Raiders and then with the Chargers and the Panthers. And you often wonder in these situations with the general manager, if that's the gig you want to jump to, especially your first, you probably would want to make your own coaching hire. There's a lot that uh, goes into that both ways. Hey, Stephen, before I let you go, um, I do want to ask you, have you heard anything new regarding the present health of Colts owner Jim Irsay? I have not. Um, it's it's certainly distressing. I would agree. When I agree. You hear – uh, when, when at any time a team puts out a statement like that, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I certainly think my reaction to it was that okay, this is serious. Um, 
I'm not suggesting what the outcome may or may not be. I have no idea. I'm just saying uh, that's a pretty aggressive step to take. I think, um, you know, this is not, this is not a, you know, just the, the flu or something. I mean, I don't think you have to put out a statement to the media or something minor. The other thing I would say, and, and this, I've said this already, so I'm not breaking news here, but um, I, and I know this is true for you too, I have not laid eyes on Jim Mercy in quite some time. Yeah. It's been a long time. So I have many questions, uh, but above all, I hope he's okay, and I hope we see him soon. Yeah, I mean, it goes, I think I mentioned this to you and, you know, some of our uh, uh, others out there that uh, will talk on occasion, you know, privately that I, because I, December the 11th, I think, was, was going back. And, I mean, it's been well over a month now, has it not? Oh, easily, yeah. I mean, I I, I even went back and looked at, um, I think I had this conversation with Query on the other show yeah. last week. I went back and, and looked at, messages because you know a lot of us in town mercy and converse with him and and so i went back and i looked and i was like man i haven't gotten anything from this guy in a long time or has he responded to my last messages and and that was uh my last message from him was well over a month ago so uh take that for what it's worth very um you know just anecdotal i know but um but combined with the fact that we haven't seen him the statement, everything else, um, yeah, a lot of concern, I would say. Right there with you. Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com. By the way, inside the five, you got first and goal, and Mason Rudolph throws an interception. 14 nothing. Bills, second quarter oh, in Buffalo. You're, you're a few seconds ahead of me, so I thought they were going to score. <laughs> I didn't mean to, didn't mean to spoil it for you right there. So, yeah. No, but listen, they got no shot. That was their best shot. Okay, that was their yeah. best shot. Yeah. Now, like this, you thought they, they get that score, they hang in. Now, it's – Pretty reasonable, but there's going to be no hang-in factor here after that. That's tough. Yeah. So. Yeah, I always appreciate you, man. See you soon. Stephen Holder of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Quick break. We shall return. Me and you at 239-1070 on the other side. If you want to talk up some sports action over the weekend, a little IU-Purdue conversation. Pacers from yesterday. Pacers tonight. A lot more for you coming up here. Final 30 at 239-1070 with you next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Stand by, Stryker. We're going to the tower. Good luck. We're going to the tower. The tower? The Tower, Rapunzel, Rapunzel. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. And by the way, shout out to Jim, or Jim Ursay, shout out to Jim Mora. What's hired (laughs) by Jim Ursay? Jim Mora and his uh, commercial with Kevin Hart making light of the uh, playoffs press conference of years ago, which still around here is one of the all-time greats right there. So you kind of bring that back, don't you? A little bit there with uh, that commercial that just aired. Now it aired. The Steelers are toast. You talk about, James and I were talking about it. Um, 
So Josh Allen just ran for a touchdown. 21 nothing Bills right now in the second quarter over the Steelers in this AFC wildcard game. But you had members of the Steelers secondary, James. Do you think it's fair for me to observe that they were dogging it right there on oh, that touchdown run? Absolutely. And a little bit of give up right there. Oh, happening. Yeah. Looked like a little bit of give up. 21 nothing. It's interesting, too. So the Steelers inside the five moments ago. They were ripe to go in for a touchdown and cut that 14-pointer to a 7-point, one-score advantage. Instead, Mason Rudolph throws an interception, and then immediately the Bills go the other direction. And now instead of being 14-7, it is 21-0. Snowballs are flying everywhere. Bills Mafia, they're happy. And this thing looks like it is lights out even before the half. We shall see Eagles and the Buccaneers round out the wild card weekend coming up later on tonight. We have had a blast with that. Yeah, Eric says the Steelers are working at the post office today. They're mailing it in. And Josh Allen just he ran right by him. I'm not suggesting he's not fast and not athletic, but my goodness. A let up and a lot of give up on that one right there. No question about that. Hey, JMV, did you see the play that Stafford got crushed, had to be seeing stars, and, of course, no flag? Also, between that and Stafford hitting his hand on the helmet of a Lions player, man, he was dealing with it. But you talk about it that first half last night, the absolute darts that were being thrown by both quarterbacks, both Goff and Stafford. These were right on the numbers seeds being tossed. Now, didn't turn out that way in the second half. But, man, the first half, these guys were right on it. Both quarterbacks. Incredibly impressive. And really a fun game to watch. You know me. I'm no fan of Michigan. I'm no fan of Detroit. But to see just the overwhelming, honest enjoyment and raw emotion that came with that level of success for the first time in three-plus decades in Detroit, I have to admit I was taken by it. You can get me with a little bit of emotion. A little bit of raw emotion will get me. Again, I'm no fan of the Lions. No fan of Detroit and certainly not a fan of Michigan. But you combine that with the open of Eminem, which I thought was great, uh, with that at the end when the Lions finally win and you get – yeah, that uh, that made me jealous. Those are the moments I want around here again. Kind of got that to a degree, not to that level because really nothing was to that level. But you got that to a degree, the Steelers on a Saturday night and then in that loss to Houston. I thought the crowd here was just primed and ready to go and – and certainly emotional and loud, but yeah, nothing to that. That was that was thirty plus years of nothing that turned into something for Lions fans last night. That's pretty special. Yeah, it really was. And I know that you sat at home and you kind of watched that, wondering how it was all going to go wrong. See, that's how you feel. That's how you think until it finally goes right. Now the Lions can get over that. For how many years now we mentioned that, at least, what, nine seasons, certainly. But how many years now we've mentioned that around here? 
You just kind of sit around and wait for something to happen. That's what was mentioned last week after the Halliburton injury. You just sit around and you wait for the crap to occur. The moment that you saw last night in surviving the Rams and moving on the divisional round, which now you know you're going to get the host because of Dallas and that fiasco yesterday, that's that is the sign. That is how you get over. That is how you get over that hump. You get over 30 years of feeling, oh, here we go again. I know a lot of Lions fans probably deep down inside felt that way. Here we go again. This is going to happen to us again. That's how you put that to bed. You know, we oftentimes joke about having, you know, exorcisms or, you know, some sort of meeting in the middle with Mr. Karma and, you know, shaking that off, you know, and moving forward from all, you know, the curse or the bad luck. Truly, that's how you do it. You win, and then you forget about the past, and then you look forward to what is still to come for that team with Dan Campbell, their head coach. You can reflect on the 30-plus years of just dismal performances, but you know that's how you put to rest the bad thoughts of, oh, here we go again. This is how we're going to screw it up. That's how you do it. Uh, Pacers Utah coming up later on tonight. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana joined us a little bit earlier. We talked about that, too. If you watched the Pacers yesterday in Denver, um, it was it was a good competitive game. It gets to about the six-minute mark. And then a couple of different times, the Nuggets went up double digits. I think there was an opportunity. Maybe the Pacers are down six, maybe five. And a couple of different possessions they had a chance to cut into. And one specifically, Miles had the opportunity to knock down a three, which he hadn't been shooting very well from three-point land, had the opportunity to really cut into that lead. I think at the time they may have been down five. That could have been different. You had a moment, too, with Jordan Wara after an Obi Toppin steal in the fourth quarter where you could have come up with something and they came up with nothing. And again, it's not a bad game. If Halliburton plays, you can say this about every single game, then things certainly could have been different. But they hung in with the defending NBA champions, lose it in the fourth quarter. They go the second of a back-to-back in Utah coming up later on tonight. And for those of you that are thinking, well, is this this Utah team that we saw at Gambridge Fieldhouse back in early November, November the 8th, I believe, is that this Utah team, they have been different here in the past half month or so. Five consecutive wins, eight of nine overall, and literally it is tough to do back-to-backs in the NBA, especially when you go from mountain time zone to mountain time zone. This one's going to be incredibly tough. I have not seen yet regarding – the health of Aaron Neesmith. He was a question mark going into tonight. Bruce Brown was a question mark going into tonight. So if either or both of those Pacer players are out, that's going to make it even more difficult. That's in Salt Lake City. 
coming up later on tonight. And, of course, uh, we got you covered right here. Mark Boyle has your call later on this evening right here on The Fan. We got that. We had Rob Blackman a little bit earlier. Boilermaker play-by-play man. We talk Purdue and IU coming up tomorrow night at Assembly Hall in Bloomington. Podcast with each 1075thefan.com is where you can find that. All right, quick break, and we shall return. Get a busy show for you tomorrow. We'll help get you even more set for that matchup with the Boilermakers and the Hoosiers in Bloomington. And a busy Tuesday I will tell you all about coming up on the other side. The stream, the app, we've got you inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that on this Martin Luther King Jr. celebratory day. Hopefully you're having a good time and staying warm wherever you are as well. Quick break, we'll come back, get you loaded up for tomorrow coming up next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Awesome! Totally awesome! All right, Hamilton. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. You know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I was reminded by Eddie Garrison. If you look at our Super Bowl picks, whether it's on the uh, fan Facebook page or if you find it via X, whatever social media platform, you'll see all our picks right there. Jake Query of Query and Company, the host, did pick Buffalo. He picked Buffalo, but I think something was mixed up. He may have had Buffalo and Dallas in the Super Bowl, and instead I think Digital put Dallas on him. So um, I want to make sure everybody understands this in all fairness. A little blocked field goal attempt right there, and then the place kicker, somebody just came up lame right there with the hammy. So, <laughs> that looked like a hamstring situational blowout by the punter, I believe, right there. Uh, that, that's a bad grasp. It doesn't look like he's going to be putting again very soon. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yeah, with Jake Query. Jake Query had the Bills winning the Super Bowl and the Bills playing Dallas in the Super Bowl. But I think Digital got it mixed up and put him along with Kevin Bowen. So he he was not egregiously inaccurate like Kevin Bowen was. Like Kevin actually did pick the Cowboys, Kevin right? Kevin okay. picked the Cowboys. So if if you're going to make fun of something, then you make fun of Kev. We love him, but you got to make fun of Kev. Jake, on the other hand, did, because he told me this, and I, he told me yesterday on the phone, and I had forgotten about it, but Eddie Garrison reminded me of it. Jake's pick is officially Buffalo. Now, I picked the Niners, which is not like it's going out on any incredible limb right here. But I have the Niners and the Bills in the Super Bowl because I always want to. I always want to take a wild card rep or a team that I think wins in the wild card round. And that's what I am doing uh, with the Bills. 21 nothing as they approach the two-minute mark in the first half from Buffalo AFC wild card. It is the Bills 21, the Steelers nothing right now. And again, big moment. Mason Rudolph picked off in the end zone when he could have cut that Bills advantage from 14-7. to 7. Instead, 21 nothing right now. 
And the lone good thing for the Steelers so far is a blocked field goal attempt. 21 nothing as they are inside two minutes. By the way, I think the Steelers do have the ball inside the 40 right now in plus territory for them. But 21 nothing they do trail. Uh, I wanted to mention that, too, about Jake. Somebody had asked me regarding the Sopranos. JMV, I heard you last week talking about watching again the Sopranos on HBO. Do you remember what former Bill Belichick prodigy went on to coach the Jets that actually was in an episode of two of the Sopranos? Do you know that one? I do know that, I believe. Uh Eric Mangini. Really? He was referenced in, I want to say... Not one, but two Sopranos episodes as, quote, the man genius. Interesting. He was far from the man genius. I've never actually uh, watched the Sopranos either. Yeah, I don't think you've done anything that I've done. Yeah, I know. It is it is a show that I've like I've watched clips of on YouTube, but I've never watched the an actual episode of it. It is um it is so incredibly well written. It is. I mean, Gandolfini and Edie Falco and Imperioli, uh, the late Tony Sirico is Polly Walnuts, you know, obviously uh, little Stevie from Springsteen's band. I mean, you can just go up and down with the great performances. They, they didn't they didn't hire anybody that was going to be a jack around. I mean, they, they, they you're going to be put in a great position if you got lines in that HBO show. But Eric Mangini is the answer to that question. I want to say he was in two. He was in uh he was in Artie's restaurant a couple of different times. The Mangenius to answer your Sopranos question right there. Uh JMV, any word regarding Aaron Neesmith's availability tonight? All that I know is when we had JJ on back at the four o'clock hour, Jeremiah Johnson from Salt Lake City. Uh, Valley Sports, Indiana, he said that both Neesmith and Brown are question marks uh, approaching this game this evening. So that's one thing that we did know. Another question, JMV, it kind of seems like there's still a lot of smoke around a possibility that the pace is trading for Pascal Siakam. Are you still on the side of you don't think they're going to do it? But you're right about one thing, and who knows? I mean, this could be just putting it out there. This could be, you know, know, Siakam's guy getting with Shams or getting with Wojnarowski. But it does sound like that there is consistent interest when, when it's mentioned daily, whether it's Shams or anybody else. It normally has the Pacers' involvement. I saw that our friend Evan Sidery had this. The Pacers have remained consistently involved in trade talks for Siakam over the past few weeks. If the Raptors move Siakam, Indiana is a top contender to acquire him. Now, again, the word is that they want Jarris Walker as a part of it, and clearly the Pacers do not want to trade Jarris Walker as a part of it. And then Buddy Heald was mentioned earlier today. All stuff I'll get to coming up on tomorrow's show. Ah, man, is Fulton there? Come on, we have. Hey, Fulton, give me 10 seconds. I'm sorry I didn't see you. JMV, sorry about that. Um, I won't even talk to you tomorrow. I've got to go to the funeral. Um, But I did send you the email. Okay, I tell you what, Fulton, Fulton, thank you for the call. I'm sorry I got to run here. I'll check the email. I'm going to attend your practice. 
My brother, I'm sorry we don't have enough time, but I've got to hit this top-of-the-hour break. Our guy Fulton right there. Thank you all for listening. Tomorrow, back in studio at 3 with all the sports coverage you need here on The Fan. Have a great night. Stay warm.